David said, my name is Brett, I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those that call us uh, uh, home today for, for an hour because you're a guest. We're glad to have you, and um, we hope that this hour that we have together helps you become more acquainted with us and with God. I am uh, somewhat academically challenged today and confused, primarily because I've got a George Mason shirt on. This is where my son serves. He was a crazy boy up here earlier. And then I've got, my face is not messed up, I've got two IU stickers on my cheeks. There we go, there we go. Indiana University, I'm a Hoosier, that's who I am. Um, but we love the campuses. It's not just an addition on to the vision of our house. It's central, it's living room stuff. It's core to who we are. And in a month, we were, we we're going to host a conference for the East Coast, Upper East Coast of the uh, United States of America for college kids. And there will be somewhere between six and 800 college kids here worshiping, understanding their purpose, being equipped to better take their campus for Christ, understanding their calling, and maybe many of them, yeah, generally speaking, about 10% of those who come wind up hearing the call of God to go into ministry. And they become the young people that you see on this stage all over the East Coast in North Carolina in New York, in Boston. And we consider it a privilege to be able to do that. And we do it at great expense. And, and at the end of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to share in that expense. Now, last week we did not do church. And whenever we can't do church, that doesn't make me happy. Uh, David and Caroline were going to be here last week. Uh, and they were going to share everything he just shared with you last week. And then we were going to receive an offering for them last week. But at the end of this service, we're going to receive an offering for our campus conference rather than Dave and Caroline because this is Campus Sunday. So it's hard for us, just logistically and programmatically, to receive three offerings in one service. That's difficult. So we've decided not to do the offering for the orphans that we normally would do. And we're just going to distribute funds out of our general coffers. But it's my hope that you would remember that the Internet is always open. And you can give to the Havens any time you want. David will be out in the lobby and you can, he'll have something there whereby you can commit and sponsor kids. Um, but please, don't forget about that. We just don't have time. We ran out of a Sunday. And I'm, I'm sorry for that. But please, don't, don't miss out on that moment. I want you to be blessed and I want these kids to receive the benefit of your sacrifice. Turn with me over to the book of Galatians. We're going to continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And as I go through that, I want to acknowledge that today is uh, the Sunday before Martin Luther King's holiday, and I want to honor that man for his life because without him, we here in the Commonwealth of Virginia would not be able to do what we are doing this morning. Oh, we'd be able to do church, but not like we're doing it. If you haven't noticed, I'm black. <laughs> and there are a bunch of other people here who aren't. In the Commonwealth of Virginia in 1950-something, that wasn't normal, nor was it tolerated. And so where we are didn't come because we just had a good idea. It came because somebody else sacrificed in order for us to get here. And for that, I'm very, very grateful and honor that man. Turn with me over to Galatians chapter 5. The title of the message today is The Fruit of the Spirit, Gentleness. Fruit of the Spirit, Gentleness. Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Turn with me then again to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, 
Verse 5, Matthew 5, verse 5. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Lord, help as we study your word today. The, um, the fruit of the Spirit, as they are outlined in Galatians chapter 5, are simply stated. They aren't explained. And because they aren't explained, we have to assume that when Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, that the church at Galatia knew exactly that of which he was speaking, because he, it needed no explanation. But because we weren't in Galatia when, when Paul was ministering there, or had sent ministers there, we need some explanation. And so it's important for us to either look at other documentation where Paul begins to speak on the issue, or other passages in the New Testament that allow us to understand what these terms mean. And here we probably find the best way of understanding what gentleness is when Jesus coins the phrase, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now some versions read, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word gentle, as I have defined it, is a predisposition toward the consideration of others. A predisposition toward the consideration of others. Most people think gentleness is just being nice. Well, it may be somewhat of an outgrowth from it in that you are considering someone else when you are being nice, but it surely is not the complete definition, at least not that we find here in Scripture. When the term meek is used, generally speaking, people use it as a synonym for weak, and neither is that true. Meekness has nothing to do with weakness. In fact, it has everything to do with the opposite. It is controlled strength. When somebody is meek, they still have all the power they did originally, but now it's channeled in the most proper direction. Jesus says, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, gentleness is that which generally is derived from an attitude of humility and a practice of it. And as a result of you understanding that there are authorities that are over you and you have submitted to them, then you become somebody who is able to be molded into something that you were not prior and thereby can do things that you could not prior. Humility allows you the privilege of gaining from someone else's experience their character, their background, so that you can be catapulted to a place that you couldn't do on your own as quickly as you could if you had somebody else helping you. But people generally don't like to be under anybody's authority. Most folk want to do what they want to do. They want to be their own master of their destiny. And so they don't want Jesus to be their Lord. And if they don't want Jesus to be their Lord, generally they, they really don't want anybody else because they know they're messed up. At least they think Jesus might have some good ideas. They know other people are just like them, messed up as them. And so even when I find a Christian who has said, uh, I love Jesus, but you know, that church thing. I ain't interested much in church. I had organized religion. You know, they try to systematize it and make rules and restrictions. And I just want the freedom to be able to serve God the way I want to. Okay? I understand there are a lot of people who are doing church not as well as they should. And I'm probably in that vein. I, I make a lot of mistakes. But, but, but help me. Um, do you have a college degree? Yes. So you sat under somebody's leadership 
at some institution for four straight years, like 16 hours a week, and then two hours per class after that, you did what they said do with respect to study, did you not? Why? Well, I wanted a degree. For what? So I could get a job. Oh, you're telling me that you couldn't have done that on your own when you graduated from high school? Well, no, I wasn't prepared. Well, why weren't you prepared? Because I wasn't taught. Oh, so you had to be taught. You had to sit under somebody else's leadership and gain from their experience and knowledge so that you could get something that would catapult you to a place that you couldn't have gotten on your own. Hmm. You are really selective in the authorities that you want in your life. Do you know that? <laughs> really selective. Now, do you know all of God you should? Well, nobody does. Exactly. Do you think you can find all of God as fast as you, you, you can, as fast as you possibly could on your own? Do you understand the Bible as it, is, as it is written? Do you ever use a commentary? Well, sometimes. Oh, you mean you let somebody else help you understand your Bible. But you won't, you won't do it in church? So where do your lines of not liking authority fall? Reality is... You're just flat selfish and insecure, and what needs to happen is you need to get rid of that because there are people in congregations, as flawed as they are, that can help you get to where you need to get faster, just like you went to that university and paid a lot of money to tell you what to do. A lot of money for people to tell you what to do. And, and, and that's what the church will help you do. It will help you get to a place faster. You will become degreed much quicker and be qualified to live better, be a better husband, better father, better mother, better employee, better friend, better everything. Because a really good Christian is a really good everything else. That's what church does. And in the process, you will evidence meekness because you come under the authority of another and thereby gain from their experience, listen to what they have to say, Eat the meat, throw out the bones, because there will always be bones wherever you go. Wherever you go. Because there's, there's nothing perfect on this side of glory. Nothing. But you, when, I get, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Noah one question. First one I'm at, did you take a shovel? <laughs> See, have, have you ever been to the zoo? You ever been to the ape house? You might know what the ape house is. It's an enclosure where all these primates are. Uh, what's the first thing you notice when you walk into the ape house? <laughs> and when I walk in, those animals are not pretty enough for me to stay. I'm trying to find out where's the exit. Because my olfactory system is on overload. Imagine Noah for nine months living in the ape house. Did you bring a shovel, bro? Did you bring a shovel? And that's what you need to come with every time you come to church. Because what was it that allowed Noah to stay in the ark when it smelled so bad? The conditions had to be just, just above intolerable. What was it that made him stay in the ark? It was worse outside. I know the church might be bad. We got a lot of problems. But it's worse outside. 
pack a shovel. Just pack a shovel. And what will happen is the humility that comes in your life of receiving from the imperfect, called people, will allow meekness to be developed so that you can inherit things God wants to give you. Now, meekness and gentleness, as I said, it's a predisposition toward the consideration of others. You become somebody who's no longer putting you first. You're always thinking about how you can serve somebody else. You're no longer acting like you came from Adam. You're acting like you were born again. You came from Christ. Adam was always concerned about him. That was a problem. Something in his, his wiring got mixed up when he blew it. And temptation overcame him. And he fell. And since that time, we've all been trying to figure out how in the world can we escape him? How can I overcome the selfishness which has been inbred in my DNA and become somebody that I didn't know I could be? The only way that can happen is if you get born all over again, no longer of Adam, but of God. And God puts his spiritual DNA on the inside of you, corrects the problems that are internal, not just your behavior, but corrects you on the inside. And as a result... You become somebody who acts more right. And now you become bent to do right rather than bent to do wrong. And all of us were bent to do wrong when we came out of the womb is evidenced by the fact that every parent understands what I'm about to say. You never have to teach a child to be selfish. How did they wind up that way, though? You never have to teach them the word mine. They learn it quick. But you do have to teach them to share and to be loving and to be kind and to be considerate. If mankind is good and getting better, why haven't we fixed that yet? The fact is that Adam still lives on the inside of us. We are born with him. That's why we must be born all over again. Because now Christ is the one who begins to dictate how we are. And when you get born again, now you're beginning to cultivate the idea of what it means to care about others before yourself. Meekness is beginning to be cultivated in your life. But it needs to be practiced. It needs to be grown in your life. It doesn't just get inserted. And so humility is that which allows you the privilege of accessing this concept. Now, the word meekness itself is an old English word. And it comes from the idea of of a horse that was now prepared for the rider to, to commandeer it and tell it what to do. Sometimes it was used for racing or for... Uh, somebody who was using a horse for, for, for labor. But most importantly, most often it was used for a horse that was used for war. Now horses are prey. They are predators. They don't run toward danger. They're not trying to, to, to stalk something. Their nature is when they see danger is to go in the opposite direction. So how do you make a horse that is geared, wired on the inside for for the the idea of flight to instead fight. How do you make it run toward the battle than away? Its DNA says when it smells blood, get out of Dodge. But they had things called cavalries whereby horses would be mounted by, by soldiers and they would run directly to the battle. That horse was trained in opposition to its nature to now do what the rider told it to do. And it did not flinch. 
clanging of metal, cannonballs whisking by its ears, bullets, people screaming, blood every place. That horse would only do what the rider said do and was geared to protect the rider. How? He trained, the rider did, that horse, to make sure that it would not run when loud sounds happened and the smell of blood, it would go toward it. And to do exactly what the rider wanted to do just with a little, a little nimble touch of the knee, touch on, on the side of the horse this way or that way, the horse would know exactly what the rider wanted to do. When that horse was ready to go to battle, it is said, though I can't prove this part, that they would take a, uh, a candle and test it by putting the candle under the horse's belly. And if the horse did not flinch, then the master knew he was ready for war. Don't know if it's true, but it sounds really good when I preach it. <laughs> but the horse, when that process happened, was then called meek or gentle. Didn't lose any of its strength, but now all of its strength was geared toward one purpose, whatever the rider wanted it to do. Have you let Jesus get in your saddle? He wants to make you meek. He's not trying to make you weak. He's trying to make sure that all of your strength is geared toward that which he has called you to do. And he is the best horseman on the planet. He knows how you ought to go. He knows where you ought to go. He knows when you ought to go. You don't. And it's absolutely critical that you let him get in that saddle and ride you to your destiny. Meekness allows you the privilege of retaining your strength but using it in its most useful purpose toward your destiny. Otherwise, your strength is dissipated towards stuff that doesn't matter. You give it to things here that will pass away. Everything on the planet is going to fade. And you can give all your strength to your education, all your strength to the pursuit of your career, all your strength to your family. It's all passing away. But you can still do the same thing under the authority of Christ by submitting yourself, your family, your career, your occupation, everything to him and then letting kingdom progress happen in it. And as you do so, those things which will naturally fade away produce eternal kingdom benefit in the process. And you begin to see the kingdom come to earth. What was Jesus' prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? How? So God wants his kingdom to come here, not just you to go there. And so our goal is to be meek enough whereby he would invest his kingdom in our life so that we can make the planet better. The meek shall inherit the earth. You become under the control of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 7, the love of Christ controls me. I am not my own. I do what he says do. I go where he says go. I say what he says say. He is God Almighty and God Almighty of my life. That's the greatest privilege of your life. He says the meek, those who are gentle, have the privilege of one, Jesus said in Matthew 5, being blessed. Now in Matthew 5, we have the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are these nine or ten sayings that allow us the privilege of understanding what it means to be happy even when life is not making you so. Nothing about the beatitude says, I'm going to be happy when something happens to me that's good. 
The Beatitudes are all about, this is what it means to be happy when life gives you limits. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. And Jesus uses the term blessed or happiness and fortunate. That's what it means. To describe something that doesn't sound very... What do you mean mourn? Somebody has lost somebody and they're, they're blessed? They're fortunate? They just lost. It seems like they diminished. They didn't gain. And he's saying there's a different realm into which you get to move when you understand that God is the one who is in control, not you. And everything about the people to whom Jesus was ministering felt mournful. It wasn't just the individual. He was ministering to an entire group of people called the nation of Israel that had had their lives under the authority of Rome for decades now. And before that, Greece. Before that, Persia. Before that, Babylon. It had been a good six centuries since Israel has been an autonomous country, had their own king to do as they willed. And everybody has treated them poorly. And this was a people that was oppressed. And he was saying this, I know you've lost your freedom. I know you've lost your liberty. I know you've lost your hope. But I want you to know you haven't lost your God. And though you might mourn, he is there to comfort you in the middle of it. And I want you to know there's a blessing in that. Redefining happiness. The next five things, blessed are those who are peacemakers, blessed are those who uh, are merciful, blessed are those who are pure in heart for they shall see God. Uh, blessed are those who, who um, uh, are gentle. I'm speaking on today. The next five are things that happen as a result of you being a certain way, not as a result of things that need to happen when circumstances come to you. So when circumstances come to you, i.e., I, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, I want you to know the kingdom of heaven is yours. Or blessed are you who mourn because you will be comforted. When bad life, bad circumstances come at you, I want you to know there's a stash of the kingdom ready for you. This, this part, the next five, talk about how we need to be as a contrast to life. So blessed are you when you are a peacemaker. For you'll be called the son of God, meaning when there's something on the inside of you that desires to make peace when everybody else wants to go to war, you act like me to humanity. So now it's what's built. It's not what God is doing as a result of the circumstances that come against you. It's what he has built on the inside and what you can do as a result of the circumstances coming against you. Blessed are the gentle. When you have a gentle spirit, a meek spirit, God says, you are really blessed. Why? Because you've got the confidence that the authority to whom you've submitted, God Almighty, is running your life. I can't tell you how much I get, I get a sense of well-being simply because he's in the saddle. I don't take my cues off my success. My soul is not stroked because I've accomplished something. Because I realize this. Whatever success means, and I'm not quite sure what it means, because tomorrow I still got to do his will, even though I may have done it yesterday and accomplished some things. I'm not quite sure if I've become successful, even though other people think I have. Because I'm not done yet. Success is when I'm absolutely finished and I hear a well done. Now, I may have done pretty, pretty good yesterday, better than bad yesterday good for bread, 
but I still have much more to do, so I can't sit around and, and really be excited about my yesterday because tomorrow demands that I still do his will at a high level. So I'm not quite sure what success means while I still draw breath. But I know this, that I am really happy that he is in my saddle. I may make some mistakes, more than I like, that's for sure. But I get my confidence and my joy from the fact that he's my Lord. Every day I wake up in peace. Every night I go to bed in contentment, knowing he's my Lord. And I'm his son. He cares about me. He's forgiven me. This, this is what Jesus was talking about when he told the disciples after he sent them on a short-term missions trip. And they came back so excited. Luke chapter 10, so excited. Jesus, even the demons were subject to us in your name. It was amazing. All we said is, come out in Jesus' name and those demons came fleeing. Wow, it was stunning. And it says that Jesus leapt and he rejoiced greatly with them, saying, it's so wonderful, but listen to me. Do not rejoice simply that the demons were subject to, to you in my name, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Whatever accomplishment you do here pales in comparison to what God has done for you. Every day you ought to wake up content. I'm his boy. I'm his girl. If that's all I get for the rest of my life, it's enough. I know you want more. I want more. But I'm not going to judge my God and how much he loves me on the basis of what he does next. He's already done enough for me. Already done enough for me. I am blessed even when my life doesn't go right. He redefines blessing in this. Blessed are you who are meek. You get the contentment every day that he's on the throne. He's not only on the throne, he's on the throne of your heart. Secondly, we become beneficiaries. We're not just blessed, but we're beneficiaries. He says, you get to inherit something. Blessed are the meek, you get to inherit the earth. Now, inheritance implies that there are things you did not earn, but are bequeathed, given. But there's always work involved in the inheritance when you get it. It just means you didn't work for it, but you do work in it. So the children of Israel had this piece of property called Israel, named after them. But before they had it, somebody else had it. And as Joshua was leading them into the promised land, it says in Numbers 33, verse 7, and when the people go to inherit by families the land. And so this land was an inheritance given to them through their grandpa Abraham, and then many generations later they were now taking it. But as they were gaining this inheritance, this inheritance would still have to be fought for. God had secured the property for them. He had boundaried it for them. Nobody else was supposed to have it. But once they got it, they had to fight in it. They had to drive out folks who also thought it was their property. So I don't want you to get it too, too twisted. Even though you worked hard to get where you got, you got it as an inheritance. I paused because I thought there would be many more amens on that point. <laughs> I was disappointed there were more crickets than there were amens on that. 
There's nothing in this world that has not been given to you. Nothing. That doesn't deny your hard work. But who provided the opportunity for you to even work hard in it? Who provided the strength? Who provided the ingenuity? How did you wind up with a door that was open to you to make that thing happen? And if you say it wasn't open, I knocked it open. Who gave you the strength to knock it open? You worked in it. But please don't don't get it twisted. God gave it to you. And he says this, the people who I find who are meek, they get more from me. Last week we talked about what it means to inherit things. Um, No, we didn't. We weren't here. (laughs) I talked. You weren't here. (laughs) It was Saturday morning. Empty chairs I was talking to. I hope you watched it online just for my benefit because I worked hard on that sermon to only crickets every point I made just crickets but we talked about how the master this great leader had distributed resources to one he gave five talents another two another one and the talents didn't have anything to do with natural ability but it was a distribution a gift from the master and he said work this So they got an inheritance, and then they had to work it. And they worked it, and the one who got five got five more. The one who had two got two more. The one who got one didn't do what he was supposed to do, got upbraided for it. And then the one who had had the five got the one who had the one's money. Why? Because he was faithful with much. And Jesus says this, when we are faithful with the things he has called us to do, we get more. Why? Because he can trust us. We get more leadership opportunities. We get more responsibility. So simply because your employer is giving you more to do, but, but keeping your pay the same, don't be mad. That's God Almighty. <laughs> God Almighty. Now, you can complain all you want, but don't be too mad because God's entrusting you with something. And he's allowing you to gain increase in terms of experience and know-how so that when it's time for you to get your raise, which is coming to you, please understand, if God gave you the opportunity, he's also got the stuff to reward you for it. He's a big God. But he tries to get as much out of the moment as possible. And right now, you may not be as much as you ought to be, though you want a whole lot from it. And so in order to get you to be more than you, you, you think you really are, He's got to make sure that the character is there before he blesses you with the things that you need so that you'll be able to do more with what he gives you than you would have if you didn't have the character in the midst of it. So the circumstance is producing two things. Did you understand anything I just said? The circumstance is producing two things. One, the stuff you need is on its way. Two, you're becoming better useful so you can use the stuff when it gets there. He's getting as much out of the circumstance as possible. So don't be bad. Worship. See, this is what meekness allows you to do. If Jesus is in your saddle, oh, he's in control. He led me here. I'm good. Oh, it's very painful, very uncomfortable. Don't like a bit of it. Hallelujah. (laughs) I am blessed. This is what character allows you to do. See beyond the natural. Blessed are the meek, for they shall... When you become meek, 
And it, it never stops. There's never a ceiling I've seen to this, this idea of meekness, w- which means you can continue to grow in it. And if you continue to grow in it, then you continue to become a better steward through which God can now channel more resources. And if we were to live long enough, I imagine many of you would grow to places of prominence in our area, not because you were the most skilled, but because you were the most worthy of support by way of stewardship. You became meek. You cared about the things that God cared about. And he said, I'm going to channel that stuff to you because you produce not only for the benefit of the people here, but you produce for kingdom progress. Blessed are the meek, for they get to inherit earth stuff, property, material possessions, leadership positions. I got more to say, but I've got to stop. Lord, I'm asking for your grace and mercy. Please inspire all of us to pursue meekness with all of our heart in Jesus' name.